Welcome to the Hollywood and Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 37 of the Hollywood and Total podcast. This week, I'm super excited to talk with Jeff Foxworthy, a comedy icon hitting the road for Jeff and Larry's Backyard Barbecue Tour. But before the interview, I wanted to share a subheadline I never thought I'd see. It's from The Hollywood Reporter, which is hardly a fringe publication. Buckle in. Should white creators tell black stories? Really? Now here's more. HBO and Amazon's dueling Civil War alt-history dramas have brought an age-old debate about art back to the cultural forefront. Who is allowed to tell certain stories, particularly those about marginalized communities? The question is prompting frank conversations among those in the industry. Now, the story itself does feature the usual hand-wringing and some attempts at sanity, but the that starter pistol question really shouldn't shock anyone. It's where the culture exists right now. It's funny, I remember years ago, a whole kerfuffle erupted over who would direct a biopic on Malcolm X. At the time, Norman Jewison, a really talented director, was circling the project. Now, a black playwright had written the screenplay Jewison would work from, but that wasn't enough for some people, including Spike Lee. He said a black person should be directing this particular movie of this particular civil rights icon. Maybe even me, he said. And of course, he ended up directing that particular film. You know, that was then. Today, that conversation isn't relegated to black civil rights folks. It's everyone, people of color. That's no longer part of the conversation where a white person can write a story about a person of color and not be called to account. We just saw it recently with Catherine Bigelow with the film Detroit. This is where the conversation's going now, and it is ugly. And the question I have to ask is, where does it stop? Should men write young adult fiction? Can women write stories about people of color? There's a frightening new report at Vulture.com recalling the war that started over a new young adult novel. It's an amazing story, and there's going to be links to it in the show notes page at HollywoodandToto.com, so check it out. But the authors interviewed for the piece to weigh in on the particular drama going on, they were afraid to use their real names. They were afraid of saying the wrong thing. How scary is that? Now, progressives would argue this is all about caring for those marginalized communities, But in reality, it's just safe spaces all over again. Bubble-wrapping people doesn't work. We need to hear opposing views, watch stories that maybe are a little imperfect or a little bit not complete at times, or maybe even just argue about them, talk about them with our friends and neighbors and see where they're right, where they're wrong, and maybe where they can be improved. We need stories that celebrate our common humanity, not ones that put us in different boxes and say, we can't tell these stories because they're not ours. Stories are all of ours. And that's the way it's been, and that's the way it should be. Conservatives, as flawed as we can be sometimes, are on the front lines in the war for free speech. Liberals? They're either on the sidelines or actively fighting against it. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. He lets me binge Bob's burgers with him. Thanks, Eli. This week's hit tip of the week is The Founder. The Ray Kroc biopic hit theaters late, late, late last year. Just in time for Oscar consideration and nothing. No nominations. 
no real award season clout at all. But you know, it's still a pretty good drama. The essential beats of the story are true. Michael Keaton's Ray Kroc strong armed the brothers who created the McDonald's franchise. He saw something super big, and of course, he was right. McDonald's is now a mega supersized franchise success story. Now, Keaton, of course, is great here. He's never anything less than that. But what's really cool about the story is how instructive it is about capitalism. It features the inspiration, the hustle, the ingenuity, and the greed. It's all there, and it's all fascinating to watch. This is a really undervalued movie, and I'm really glad it's on Netflix now so people can check it out and see for themselves. Dear friends in Christ, the Reverend Michael Spurlock. From the studio that brought you War Room and Miracles from Heaven comes All Saints. A new pastor's first assignment to close a struggling church. You're here to sell the church, thank you. The fact is, he had 12 people in that church today. Jesus had 12 people. He done all right, didn't he? Refugees searching to find a new home. What do you think will happen to them when we leave? Let's keep them in our prayers and ask for God's help. Aren't you God's help? From a seed of faith grows hope. I think God spoke to me. He wants us to save this little church by making the land into a farm. That voice you hear, be sure it's God's voice, not your own. Starring John Corbett. Back where we started. We are not where we started. We're somewhere completely new. All Saints. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theaters August 25th. For tickets and showtimes, go to allsaintsmovie.com. Now let's get to this week's HitCast interview. Jeff Foxworthy hit a home run with his You Might Be a Redneck routine. But, you know, a lot of comedians would be labeled by that and not much else. Not Foxworthy. His legacy stretches far beyond that. He's recorded best-selling albums, hit the road for the Blue Collar Comedy Tour, starred in his own sitcom, and hosted not one but two game shows. Now he's back on the road with Larry the Cable Guy, his old buddy, for Jeff and Larry's Backyard Barbecue. It's a comedy music festival with Eddie Money, Foghat, the Marshall Tucker Band, and, of course, barbecue food. I'm in. What impressed me the most about Jeff and talking to him was his aw shucks nature. And I have to say, I don't know him. It's just a chat, but just on everything I've read about him and in talking to him, it's real. It's not an act. It's not a pose. That's who he is. And it's a key reason why his fans have matured right along with him and they're laughing all the way. Here's my chat with Jeff Foxworthy. All right. Well, first of all, Jeff, I can't think of anything that screams summer better than Jeff and Larry's Backyard Barbecue Festival. Talk a little bit what's been the sort of the personal highlights so far as you've been kind of crisscrossing the country. Well, we have we, Larry and I have been on tour for about a year and a half doing a thing called the We've Been Thinking Tour. And mm-hmm. so about six months ago, we were sitting at lunch one day and I said, all right, you've done TV, you've done movies. You, what is it you haven't done? you want to do and he thought about it a minute he goes what about a night where we just had like great food like a barbecue with comedy and music and and i kind of sat there and i went you know what i paid to do that <laughs> and and so we're, we're kicking it off next weekend okay but it's me and larry the cable guy and then like uh we're splitting dates between the marshall tucker band and fog hat and eddie money and so it's just a night of fun, music and comedy all in the same place and sit there and eat. Because I've always said, Christian, that I thought comedy was the release valve that kept the boiler from exploding. And I always <laughs> think about every night, everybody in the audience is going through some kind of struggle, whether it's financial or 
health-wise or, you know, your kids, you're all, everybody's going through a struggle. But laughter is kind of the things that lets you recharge your battery and, you know, go back out there and deal with it. Well, music's kind of the same way. It's that, you know, that little mini vacation escape. And so mm-hmm. the idea of combining the two of them together just sounded like fun to us. And I've never met a comedian that didn't want to be a musician. <laughs> so Larry and I already have plans to sneak on stage and sing at least one song a night. So Okay. Excellent. Well, you know, you say that your comedy is a kind of a snapshot of where you are in life at any given moment. What can fans expect? I mean, you're in your 50s now. You're a dad. You're 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 married. You're sort of in a different sort of set than when you're in your 20s and 30s. What's what's uh, how does that sort of evolve, and how does your act reflect that? We're empty nesters, and all those financial planning commercials that said if you save your money and send your kids to college, it's smooth sailing. They're all lying to you because as soon as you quit taking care of your kids, you start taking care of your parents. They pass each other in the driveway. I, I swear they do. <laughs> and and so that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about now, you know. I mean, where, yeah. what my wife and I are doing. I've been talking all summer about the difference between women packing for vacation as opposed to men packing for vacation, and 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 that's been working great. And yeah, and I see I you have my wife then. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I read an article on an airplane that this woman was trying to teach other women how to pack for ten days in a carry-on suitcase, and I turned to Larry and I said. My wife couldn't pack for a nudist colony in a carry-on suitcase. This is not possible. Yeah. You know, a lot of your material draws on family, parenthood, you mentioned being an empty nester, all stuff we can relate to at different points in our lives. Has it been sort of an unexpected source of comedy for you in recent months? Something you're like, wow, I, I didn't think of that, or I, I'm kind of, I don't usually cover that, but boy, I can't not cover it in my material now. It's just so, it's just so ripe. Well, you know, I, I think I was lucky as a comedian because I learned early on what worked for me. And that was, I just assumed, hey, if I think something or my wife says something or my family does something, I'm going to trust that other people are thinking and saying and doing the same thing. And and to me, that's the biggest compliment at the end of the night is when somebody comes up and goes, oh, my God, you've been in our house. <laughs> or I've thought that, you know, and 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 and. So that's the the way I've always written. I mean, and and I and I and I still love doing it. I guess I'm blessed because a lot of people, after 30 years of doing something, they don't love it anymore. Yeah. And I still love it, and I still put in the work. I still go down to the local comedy club with note cards in my hand. You know, when there's 25 people in the audience and go, "Hey, is this funny? Is this funny?" And and you would think after all this time, I would know, mm-hmm. but you don't. I mean, I guess that's Part of the intrigue of stand-up is is even I don't know what people are going to laugh at. Yeah, but the audience is never wrong, so they'll tell you. Gotcha. You know, if you and I were, if I was walking in with you and you said, "Okay, go through that stack of jokes. Which four are going to work the best?" I'd be totally wrong on two of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Well, you've done. I'm looking at your career. You've done just about everything: the records, the books, the TV shows, game shows. Is there some sort of a creative itch you're looking to kind of scratch, or, or could you even think about doing dramatic roles? I know it's be kind of a sea change. But... I would love to do a dramatic role. Nobody's <laughs> ever offered me one, but I would I would love to do that. And, and yeah, the creativity, you know, that's every once in a while I get tired of you know going through airports and and I'll mention something about retiring, and my wife just starts laughing. She goes, "You go crazy in two weeks." <laughs> you, you, because I mean, as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm drawing. A lot of people don't know that about me. I've drawn all my life, and so you know, it's 
I'm just one of the, I, I guess I just got that creative bug. I got to be doing something. So. Yeah. What do you draw? I'm just kind of curious. Well, forever, I would sit in airports and I'd see somebody that would have an interesting face. And, and so I'd just try to sketch them out. And then I'd get on the plane and I'd put like far side captions to them, you know, <laughs> like faces and things. But uh-huh. here, and then somebody recently saw my art and they go, oh my God, why aren't you selling this? My friends, when they come over to the house, I've got a bunch of friends that walk in the door and go, go get your sketchbook. They just want to look at the things I've drawn. And so, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, some people, <laughs> some people just have problems and I guess that's me, but yeah, I just, I've always enjoyed it. I thought that was what I was going to do for a living. Wow. Did you formally train or just, just a No, passion? never formally trained. Just have uh-huh. done it since I was a little kid. Yeah, I went to art school, and the, my, one of my professors said, "Don't don't tell anybody I said this, but if you if you draw and do it every day, you don't need me. So <laughs> don't live down in your lack of a formal well, education in art because you, you're doing the real thing." I was talking to a, a guy yesterday that's really successful at it, and I said, "You know, the thing that's always fascinated me about comedy is if you want to be an actor, you go to acting school. If you want to be a musician, you go to music school." I said, "There is no comedy school. Mm-hmm. The only way you learn to be a comedian is doing it and hanging around other comics and." There's a great documentary Seinfeld did called Comedian, where he just decided that he was going to dump his act and just start from scratch all over again. And just showing, even for somebody as talented as he is, how mm. difficult it is, you know, to do that. And so, and I've done that many times in my career to said, all right, I'm starting over and just, you know, start from scratch. But, and he, he was saying that with his art, it was the same way. He had never had a lesson. The way he learned to be a painter was he mm. just painted. You know, one thing that I think Seinfeld did so well, and you do extremely well, is not sort of losing the common touch. I think if you get fame, you get fortune, you, you change in a way sometimes, and it's hard to not let that happen. But I think looking at your work and your career, you haven't let that happen. You still have sort of the same touchstones, the same you know connections to family. Can you talk about sort of? <laughs> it's an old expression that we don't use anymore, keeping it real. But I think you've done it for decades, and and. I think it's easier said than done. What, what's been your sort of secret, or is it just organic to you? Well, you know, I did a – somebody was interviewing me a few years ago, and they said, okay, you've done stand-up, and you've done TV, and you've done movies, written books. Which which one are you? Uh-huh. And I thought about it. I said, well, those are all things I do, and I love what I do. I wouldn't want to do anything else. I love what I do. But who I am is – I'm a husband, and I'm a dad, and I'm a son, and a brother, and so what I do may change many, many times. Hopefully, who I am stays consistent, and that's why, you know, I don't live in New York or L.A. I live in Georgia. I live next door to my brother. For 15 years, I would fly home after every show. I wouldn't get home till 2 or 3 in the morning, but I'd get up at 6, and I'd take my kids to school every day. You know, I still I go to the grocery store, I go to the Home Depot. If you know, if I'm not working, I have a farm about an hour from my house. I'm I'm on a tractor or a bulldozer, and so it was always important to me mm-hmm. to have a normal life and not get caught up in you know whatever celebrity is. It's you know, knowing what you know about yourself, you kind of laugh. I'm I'm two <laughs> decisions for making French fries for a living. So you know. <laughs> You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. Was there ever sort of a moment where you kind of lost it, maybe even temporarily, where you get swept up in 
the fame and the accolades and people recognize you. I mean, you are who you are, but you're human too. It's, it's I mean, imagine this, you know, not everyone can kind of resist that permanently, but, you know, are there moments where you kind of get caught up in the, in the fame and sort of the moment? Well, not re- I mean, not really. I mean, a lot of it, like if, if somebody comes to pick me up to do a show and they show up in a stretch limo, I just, I literally, I roll my eyes. I go, oh, no, don't, just come get me in your car. You know, <laughs> I don't, I, I just never really bought into that. And it's funny, and Christian, I don't know why things you, I remember being about 10 years old and seeing an interview with Richard Petty, and they, they mm-hmm. asked him, what's the most important thing that you learned? And he said, don't outgrow your raisins, meaning don't forget where you came from. And, and, and so, you know, I, that just stuck with me. It's like, don't outgrow that. I know where mm-hmm. I, we had a dirt yard. I mean, I know who I am. And so I'm so blessed. I've, I've made a fabulous living doing something I love to do. And still love doing it, but but at the end of the day, you know I'm I'm still coming home at night, mm-hmm. and you know taking care of my family, and and they're the most important thing. If I ever had to pick between what I did or them, that's a no brainer. Yeah, and yeah. and I just kind of realized too that you know for for those people like me that were so fortunate to get to do what they did, it was important to use whatever recognition or leverage you had in in a in a good way and so i mean for a decade i've gotten up on tuesday mornings at 5 30 and i go down and work at a homeless mission every single tuesday mm-hmm. and you know do a small group bible study with homeless guys started out with me and 12 guys now we got like 20 group leaders and 350 guys every tuesday morning wow we take them Chick-fil-A biscuits, and but and and it doesn't work for all of them. But there's a ton of guys in that thing that couldn't take care of themselves that now have their own apartments or reconnected with their families, have jobs, yeah. and and so you know, for me, that's that's the real important stuff in life. Gotcha. I agree. Uh, one of the things I was kind of want to ask you about is. Your set is clean. Your material is clean. It's family friendly. You don't insult people. You've always been that way, and that's 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 one of the great things about you. Some of your fellow comedians are, you know, a little bit more top, a little bit more bitter, a little more cynical, and they're under the microscope these days. They're sort of getting, you know, called into account for their jokes, or they have to apologize. I know it doesn't affect you directly based on your material, but I'm kind of curious as someone who works in that in that atmosphere and with them sometimes. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, is, this has been a fairly recent phenomenon. I mean, I think when you were starting out, there was you know you didn't get called oh, in the carpet no. for a you joke. Know, we've, we've become so politically correct that you know, really, it's, for comedians, it's kind of one of the last bastions of truth to just say, you know, here's the way things are. But I think you know, and, and I've always when people say you're clean, to me, there's like a underlying implication that that means not as funny and 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 i've always kind of taken offense to that i'm like mm-hmm. no you can be just as funny you yeah. know you can go watch seinfeld or you can go watch leno or you can go watch jim gaffigan or or brian regan for an hour and a half and they're clean and you're laughing your tail off mm-hmm. you know so i mean that to me that was always the challenge when i started 
I think I was scared to death my mother might show up, and you know <laughs> I'd have to account to her. <laughs> but but yeah, it's when you decide to go the other way and you decide to be more bold and offensive, you also got to take the consequences that come with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Kathy Kathy Griffin thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. There there's a price to be paid for that, and and, and you know, I guess I'm lucky. This people have. I look at my audience and I think, man, we've kind of grown up together. When I started out, I was talking about dating. Then I was talking about being a newlywed. Then I was talking mm-hmm. about having babies. And now I'm talking about being an empty nester. You know, we've, we've kind of done life together. So, yeah, I, I think I've hopefully through the years kind of built up that trust with them. That, yeah. I'm hey, not, I'm not going to offend you, but we're going to have a good time. <laughs> You know, you often hear sort of the salacious stories from Hollywood and show business. It just it makes the headlines and it makes the things it's more clickable, as they say these days. You've been in show business for a long time. Who are the good guys, the good gals? Anyone you can kind of mention that say, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, Hollywood gets the bad rap. You know, there are people here who are decent and kind and, and give to others. And and I'm going to guess maybe some of your fellow blue color comics fit that bill. But anyone else you can maybe mention just to kind of get more of a positive well, there, uh, note? To be- you know, I think a lot of people. Like in country music or that way, that, that uh-huh. they give back. I was I was talking to Brad Paisley a couple of years ago, and just just a great guy. Loves what he does, but loves his family, loves his kids. Thinks about the implications of of the things that he that he puts out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, just just a good guy like that. I think Gaffigan's one of those guys. You know, he's a total family man. He's got a house full of kids, and you know, loves comedy and he's great at it. But mm-hmm. you know. So I think there's a lot of good guys. I mean, when I was starting out, my whole ambition was to be on Johnny Carson. And Jay Leno saw me, and Jay was kind of the the king of the road comics at that time. He didn't he didn't know me from Adam, didn't owe me a thing in the world. And Jay went out of his way to make sure I got on Johnny Carson. Went back and told hmm. Johnny about me, and 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 Rodney Dangerfield helped me a lot. I mean, there there are a lot of good people out there. Unfortunately. You know, and and you kind of implied that the the headlines don't come from the good people. It, yeah, it comes from the from the bad people. Kind of the same thing with with kids these days. <laughs> you know, you only hear the bad stuff, but there's a ton of great kids out there doing really cool things to help their communities and help the world. Well, they don't get the headlines. They don't make the news. Yeah, but, yeah, it kind of flows by. Okay, <laughs> Jeff. One last question. Um, when I was reading a little bit about your blue collar tour and. One of the things you said was it, it got too big that comedy can be often better when it's more intimate. Could you resurrect that sort of that tour? I mean, I, would, I know maybe, you know, with you and Larry right now, there's a sort of a, the spirit is alive and well, but it, did it get just too big for, for its own good in a sense, or would you want to kind of maybe do that again, maybe in a couple I of years? Would, I really would love, out of everything I've done, I probably enjoyed that the most. Um, but it got to the point, it was arenas. You know, it was... We, we we did the Nashville twenty thousand people in comedy, you know that's the thing. When Larry and I agreed to do this tour, we're all now. I said, can we just go back to theaters? Mm-hmm. Just you know where, you know you can see the whole audience because in the arenas, people in the fifth row would be looking at the screens. They wouldn't even be looking <laughs> at you. You know, yeah. I'm like I'm right here in front of you. You know, <laughs> they're looking up at the screens, and I, I I don't know. I've just always felt comedy was a little more intimate than that. Yeah, you know? yeah. but. Um, it was fun. I mean, I think, I think just here in the last year, the, we've all kind of talked about maybe doing that again. I would love to do that again. And you, you know, my favorite part was at the end where we just 
bring the stools out on stage and and make each other laugh. And and the influence for that was from the Carol Burnett show. Mm -hmm. I think that's why Blue Collar worked, was everybody could just tell how much we liked each other. Mm -hmm. And but you, but if you're a comic and you do your job right, you don't laugh. You keep a straight face. And so <laughs> I think that was fun for the audience. And, and it was on Carol Burnett's show. When they got each other tickled, that was the best part of that show. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. I appreciate your work. And now we will let everyone know about the current tour. We'll have all the information on the show notes page at HollywoodandToto.com. And uh, keep up the great work. Oh, thank you so much, Christian. I've enjoyed it. Take care. Have a good day. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switch to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.